This episode of Punk Rock HR is sponsored by The Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head on over to thestarconspiracy.com. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome back to Punk Rock HR. My guest today is Sean Stowers. He's the CEO and Chief Learning Officer of WeLearn. He's part of creative team of learning professionals that are on a mission to build better humans through learning. In today's conversation, I talked to Sean about how he believes that learning can be beautiful, relevant, engaging, and modern. You know, I love that because if you're learning, you're growing. And if you're growing, you're thriving. And that's what life is all about. So join me today as I talk to Sean about learning and more on this week's episode of Punk Rock HR. Hey, Sean, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Lori, thanks for having me. Oh my God, no problem. I'm excited you're here. You know, before we get started, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you're all about? Sure. So my name is Sean Stowers and I am the CEO and founder of a company called WeLearn. We are a learning and workforce development company. And really what that means is I get up every day and go to work with a bunch of people that I love to work with and do really cool stuff. And all of that is in the service of building better humans through learning. Oh, that's awesome. Well, listen, I believe in continuous learning. I believe, as you know, when you're learning, you're growing. And when you're growing, you're thriving. And that's the point of life. But before we start talking about your platform, your organization, I know that you haven't always felt like you were working at your best. You were learning. So what was your life like before you became a founder and a CEO? I've been in the learning space since the late 90s. And I started at IBM. And at that time when IBM was making their pivot into services, and I actually often say, like, I learned everything I could learn about selling services at IBM. And from there, I went to work for a global publishing company. I liken it to working for the evil empire, except I was with the Rebel Alliance on Endor with the Ewoks. And you know what? I think, to be honest, I had both some of the best professional development, professional experiences there, and honestly, some of my worst. And, you know, I liken some of my time there to kind of watching what happens when a star dies inside of an organization, which is kind of crazy, but certainly recognize that I wasn't probably my best self in at certain times there. And certainly towards the end of my tenure there, recognize that, yeah, you know what, there had to be a better world. (laughs) Well, I love the story because there's humility in there. There's a recognition that you learn things the hard way. Your passion is learning. And so all of us in this world who want to help people learn often focus on like opportunities and professional development. But I'm struck by how the most impactful moments of learning for me have been through the school of hard knocks. Like I learn things the hard way. So before we talk about the future of learning, talk to me about learning through failure, because really, I don't know if there's another way. Yeah, you know what? I love that question. And I'll share the, one of the learning through failure that I had. And I think it was one of the first times I was given the responsibility of interviewing candidates to come in and join our organization. And we were interviewing candidates and we were working in an organization where it was all hands on deck. Everyone kind of pitched in to do the work. And the feedback came back to me where I was told I couldn't interview candidates anymore because I was stressing the candidates out because I was portraying a lack of work-life balance 
woods. And my response was, but I'm only telling them what it takes to do the job that I'm doing every day. But it was like this interesting moment where you kind of are getting this feedback going, hey, you're not portraying what we want you to tell people that the job is. And so I think it was then I began to realize that honesty is sometimes not always valued and you have to be aware of that. The other kind of point of failure that I learned from pretty early in my career was the nebulous, you have communication issues during performance evaluations and having three years in a row of that and kind of asking questions about that and not getting any sort of great feedback on what that meant other than there's someone in the company that doesn't like you who's being very vocal about it, which is kind of an interesting point. So those are two places where I think failure and having negative feedback really set me out to kind of go, how do I do this differently? How do I show up differently? How do I make sure that I'm communicating effectively? You know, it's so funny that you talked about communication issues because who is born a natural communicator, right? And I also have been told that I'm not the greatest conversationalist. Like a couple of years ago, I heard that, which prompted me to like want to get better at it, which is why I started this podcast. Like I wanted to get curious, ask better questions, learn how to talk to people. But I also realized that sometimes feedback is terrible <laughs> and feedback comes with an agenda, right? So you don't always learn from that negative feedback that you get at work. I will share with you what I I was going through my transformation from being an employee of someone else to being founder, I had a great opportunity to go through coaching with a former client of mine. And one of the things that she really encouraged me to do was go out and talk to people that worked with me that were working for me about who I was as a leader. And it was really interesting because I had to sit in my discomfort of feedback and intimate feedback before I got and I went and had those conversations. And I had to go out and I selected three people and people who had both really great working experiences with me, but also knew me when I wasn't necessarily my best and had to ask for very specific feedback about who I was as a leader. And it was very interesting because I had to sit in my discomfort for what that act of asking for feedback was and saying to my friends and my colleagues, like, hey, I need you to be really honest with me because this is part of who I need to become as a leader moving forward. And thankfully, it was approached with a ton of love and trust and honesty. But it was also a lesson of sitting in your discomfort with something Thing, which sometimes is really that reflection, that sitting in your discomfort is really important to learning and making it stick. Oh, for sure. You know, I think about the journey from working for other people to working for yourself. And I think it's smart that you went out and got a ton of feedback to make that entrepreneurial journey. But why you? Why did you think that you could start a learning company? Because there's a, a ridiculously low barrier of entry to do. It. <laughs> um, uh, let's just be honest. Why there not you, I guess, is the answer. Yeah, there's a ridiculously <laughs> low barrier of entry to do it. You know what? When I was in high school, I thought I was going to be a politician. I thought I was going to run for office. And you know what I love about learning what I do is I get to help people. And that's the foundation of this. And you know what? I'm a student of this profession. I love everything about it. Most of my career has been spent on the business development side. I often joke, I am not an instructional designer, but I play one on TV. I think I'm a great learning strategist. I'm a great person to sit with and talk about the challenges that you're trying to solve and to figure out is learning really the right thing? And if it is the right thing, how do we go about in solving that learning challenge in a really novel way. I think I'm super great at that. And I say that as someone who, by the way, doesn't have a college degree, but has spent the better part of my career doing exactly this. And so I think that's why me. But again, it, there's a ridiculously low barrier of entry. To do that, <laughs> well, so there's that too. Same thing to being a podcaster. Come on, you know, it's not all that hard. Well, let's talk a little bit about we learn. Tell me what it is and what problem it's trying to solve. So we're a learning and workforce development company. And really the heart and soul of what we do is in creating really beautiful custom content experience 
experiences, predominantly that are digital. And so we believe that learning can be modern, beautiful, engaging, and relevant. And I think a lot of times as employees, we know when we show up to that course, we know the course that's developed internally. We know the course that's developed by the vendor. You typically, the difference is you get a little bit better stock art from the vendor than you do in the internal course. And you know what? I think we set out to say that experience has got to be so much better than that. And so we often joke that we are on a mission to kill the back and next button. So we believe in using modern principles of modern web experience to bring learning to life. So is that what you mean by beautiful? Because you're right. I mean, when I think about a training course, I do think of back and next. Uh Yeah. So beautiful. um, Yes. Beautiful in terms of it functions as the modern web experience functions for you as a user, but actually also beautiful in terms of the art and the visuals and how that evokes emotion and tells story. So for us, it is not uncommon for us to do something really cool. Like we have a client where we Easter egged the client's tattoo into the course, and it may only make a difference to that one person, but they see themselves in that course. Yeah. So why do you think training has been so stuck in the 90s, even though we're no longer in the 90s? Because if we were, I would be younger, right? But when I take a lot of training courses, it looks brown and taupe and people are wearing shoulder pads and not in a retro kind of cool way. So why is stuff stuck back in the 90s? Is it just money? Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. I think number one is there are a lot of organizations that are kind of stuck in doing things the way that they are, that they've always done it. I do think that the past two years, two and a half years is starting to break that up and people are starting to go, wait, we can do things differently. I think that in some cases, some of the media, the the ability to develop media, the cost of developing video has gone down and ultimately what's acceptable in terms of video. So now you and I could do this sort of conversation, record this as a training piece, do a little bit of editing and put this out there. And it's it's not the beautiful studio produced video, but this is totally acceptable. I think that some of the costs and strategies for producing media are coming down. And so I think that some of those things are going to change. But I just think a lot of organizations stay kind of stuck in their lane and aren't always sure how to break out and try something new. And what we're trying to do in, in our messaging is to find the people that are looking to break out of that. And they're starting to find us and we're having great conversations. So when you work with your client, are you partnering with executives? Are you partnering with heads of divisions? Or are you working with chief learning officers? Because there's such an interesting way to get at the heart of a learning strategy, right? You can do it internally. You can outsource some of it. You can buy some of it. You can build it on your own. So I just wonder, how do you work with your clients? So all of the above. And what I would say is our clients come from both corporate America and then also from the association space, so member-based organizations. So we're working with, in some cases, the chief learning officer, the head of education, the head of professional development. In other cases, we're being brought in by CHRO or a CLO to talk about strategy. And I think one of the things that we try to think about with the strategy is there's a lot of options for folks to go out and find learning strategy. We tend to think that we are more actionable and perhaps a bit more affordable than some of the other options. Oh, you're not just out there making suggestions that nobody can afford and that are totally unreasonable. I'm shocked. I'm shocked to hear this. Well, I think you've probably had this experience where, you know, you go to some of the, let's just say bigger firms where you can ask them all the same questions and you're basically going to get the same information back with just varying degrees of pretty PowerPoint deck. I think that we recognize that not every organization can afford that or wants that. If I work in human resources and I'm a chief people officer, are there specific things I ought to be thinking of for my learning strategy in 2022 and beyond? What's required and what's like nice to have? Yeah. So I think that there's some things for me that are really beginning to emerge that I think the investment in learning 
in these areas need to be thought about differently. I think DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging needs to be thought about differently. It needs to have a solid investment. It needs to have real investment in the learning solution. While you may have a head of DEI and belonging, learning has a seat at the table in funding and developing those solutions and ensuring that they get out. And it cannot be we're going to fix insert whatever group we're trying to address the lens of diversity through, and we're going to provide programming. So I think diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, something that we have to invest differently in. You're right. I think often we've got a sliced off diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging function. Then we have a sliced off learning function and never the two shall meet. Do you operate as a bridge between the two? Is that something that you do often? We would like to see ourselves doing that. I think one of the ways that we do that in our own way, and I think this is something when you do think about learning and development, we seek to make sure that the learning that we develop, the visuals that we develop, that every learner sees themselves in it. So we work very hard to ensure visually that there is representation in the solutions that we develop for our clients. I think we can be in that bridge. The other one I think is mental health and well-being. I just think that there's a lot of organizations post-pandemic really realize this, mental health and well-being. I think that's one. And then I think this idea of burnout and resiliency. I just don't think, and by the way, we have a great partner, a former chief people officer who has created a program for burnout and resiliency because as she described, she was having her own mental health crisis and basically couldn't find resources for herself because she was not an alcoholic or drug addict. And again, here's the thing, you take a step back and you can go, well, hey, we provide an EAP for that. Sure. And if someone can find that EAP and navigate the website and maybe talk to someone who thinks they can help, that's one thing. But I think the thing about investing and training in those ways makes it okay for the conversation to happen in the organization. The EAP to me feels too punitive. Like, I don't want to call that because what if someone finds out that I called? What happens to my job? Sure. Or your point about navigating the complexities of the EAP is something that we've talked about on Punk Rock HR. And I think there's a time and a place for calling the EAP. But if there's an online learning module to help you with burnout, to help you with having difficult conversations, to help you with navigating the world of caregiving, why wouldn't we offer that as a complimentary offering to the EAP? It's not either or, it's all of the above. Absolutely. So I see those as three really big things that learning organizations should really be focusing on. You know, one of the things that I think learning organizations ought to also be focusing on is gratitude. This is something that's been on my mind for years. And so there's all this energy in the space about gratitude, recognition. It's been going on even pre-COVID. But to really help people understand that gratitude doesn't just make work better, it makes life better. So talk to me a little bit about gratitude. So first of all, I love that because it's one of our North Star values here. And we tend to say thank you to each other a lot and thank you to our clients and to be thankful for the work. The point about teaching gratitude inside of organizations is exactly right, because I think that too often we get into this mindset of, well, I'm not going to say thank you to someone. They're just doing their job. That mentality, and I'll give you a real example about this. In another part of my professional life, we had this rock star kick-ass development team and I just knew that it was important to recognize members of the team. And I would send feedback to the senior leader over this team. And the response I would always get, it wasn't this, hey, I'm going to forward this onto the team and let them see that, hey, you've given this feedback, which wasn't what it was about for me. But I never saw that it went, but I would always get this response back going, well, they were doing their jobs. And I'm like, wow, like that to me is so fundamentally off of who I am as a human being. And I just could never understand it. And so I think that if we begin to teach this 
idea that you can express gratitude to individuals, to teams as a way of supporting this great culture of people. I think that's so huge because it's so important to us it, to the point that like we don't work for people that we don't think are have gratitude. Well, I mean, that's the beauty of being an entrepreneur. And I also, as you were talking about gratitude, one of the things I was thinking about is that this idea of learning is so important as it relates to gratitude, but a lot of different topics, because what we teach at work can be brought home. And for many of us, we were not, you know, I was not raised in a culture of gratitude in my house. And so learning about gratitude, I think has made me a better sister, a better partner, a better wife, right in this world, recognizing that you say thank you, even for the basic things in this world, just because it's important to say thank you. It's been a game changer for me. So it's not just gratitude, but the other things that I've learned at work and been able to take home have just been life changing. So I don't know what you think about that. I think that corporate learning can be a great strategy for those of us who weren't always raised right. So (laughs) (laughs) I I, I relate. There are things there are things in my life like I think I was raised right. But there are things in my life where I go, you know what, I've learned this in my professional life, it carries over to home. And so I totally agree with that. Well, here's the thing. I think in so many things that we teach, right, communication skills, negotiation skills, I will say like I once heard from a former boss that the best class in negotiation was having a two year old because they have no concept of losing. It is what I want. And that's all that matters. But I do think that there is so much of what we teach inside of organizations that does carry over to personal life. So I, I totally agree. Amazing. Well, you know, as we start to wrap up the conversation, I'm real curious about what's next for we learn because you've created a beautiful platform. You're out there, you're, you know, interacting with clients and prospects talking about the future of learning. What does 2022 and 2023 look like for your organization? That's a great question. I think that we are going to continue to grow, take on really interesting novel projects, and that ultimately that the organizations that we work with are going to be positively impacted by what we bring to the table, both in terms of the solutions that we deliver, by our philosophy again, rooted in generosity and our ability to bring beauty and learning together. Mm, That's really great. Well, I'm so happy for all of your success. I'm excited about your trajectory and I'm grateful you were a guest today. If people want to learn more, Sean, where should they go? Great question. So I'm on Twitter. So I'm Sean Stowers on Twitter. We are also WeLearnLS on Twitter. And then our website is WeLearnLS.com. We'll make sure we have all that good stuff in the show notes. And again, thank you for being a guest today. It was a real pleasure. Lori, thank you for having me. This was a great time. Thank you. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Punk Rock HR. We are proudly underwritten by the Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head on over to thestarconspiracy.com. Punk Rock HR is produced and edited by RepCap with special help from Michael Thibodeau and Devin McGrath. For more information, show notes, links, and resources, head on over to punkrockhr.com. Now that's all for today, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR. Punk Rock HR.